following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Remain standing, if you would, as you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and Exodus chapter 32. You can put your finger in Exodus chapter 32 or a note card or something to hold your place there and then flip on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And as you're turning there, just as a a little bit of information this morning, we are going to be celebrating baptisms. And I've got several folks that are going to be baptized. I've got more coming, and uh, we just haven't been able to connect, and we're going to be uh, meeting over the course of the next several weeks, and we're going to have another baptism Sunday. I'm excited about that. I love it, so I'm looking forward to that. So if you're not able to be in this mix, that's okay. We've, this is not the only day of the millennia that we will baptize, I promise you. We will baptize again and again, and opportunity after opportunity. We will do uh, what we can there. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you remember last week, we studied 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. So, let's take a look at chapter 14 and see what follows that. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, albeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that speaketh prophes- or but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive the edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. 
Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel in the edifying of the church. Father, bless now the reading of your word to our hearts and our minds, to its understanding, and our lives to its application. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I, I enjoy times where we get to have the kids with us. I know I'm an odd pastor. I'm an, I'm an odd fellow like that, but I enjoy it. I love seeing children worshiping alongside mom and dad. I love to see those kind of things. It excites me. It does not bother me in the least bit. And these are opportunities that we want to take just a moment and help to make sure that what we're doing is actually communicating truth in ways that can be understood. Sometimes if we're not careful, we like to use the big words and we like to impress people with our vocabulary. But when you're speaking with kids, they look at you with that, I, that expression that so many people look at me quite often going, huh? And so you have to learn how to speak not just to speak, but with understanding. This is what we come across this morning as we've been looking at the idea of church membership. We've looked at various different aspects of it. We've looked at some of the things that we do. We've looked at the heart of church membership. We've looked at it, whether it's even biblical or not. But we come to a specific portion here that is, is um, sometimes uh, uh, difficult to uh, understand or handle, and it's simply the question of who leads the membership. Now, everything that we do in worship is regulated by something, right, or someone. And the question really wants uh, that we really want to try to deal with is whether uh, we allow things to be regulated by man's ideas, personal emotions, uh, social acceptance, or by God's Word. And so as we come to this idea here, as members of the local New Testament church, we are all called to be a bigger part of the whole. And so each and every one of us have a place to fit in and a place to get involved. Uh, And as we do this, this is where membership really starts to aid in the longevity and the steadfastness of the body. However, it is also where things can, if we're not careful, deteriorate. And what I mean by that is, as you can easily see with the world at large, anytime leadership acquiesces to the demands of a few rather than stand firm on the uh, uh, things that we know to be true, a slope begins to steepen. And so in the church, it's important for us to examine leadership. It's important for us to understand who is uh, leading and who is in charge. Now, before we go any further, I know what can very quickly happen. Oh, this guy, he's, he's really been looking in the mirror a lot lately, and he's got himself puffed up, and he's getting ready to tell us I'm in charge. I hate to burst your bubble, but that's not at all what I'm getting ready to tell you, because I'm not. I am not in charge. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, that's right, he brought in deacons, and they're the tail that wags the dog. No, they're not in charge either. And some of you, if you knew us, (laughs) would be waving a hanky saying, to God be the glory, great things he hath done, for they are not in charge 
and I don't have to run. In the church, it's important for us to examine who is in charge. Hopefully through the years you've heard me say that I don't ever want people looking to me. I don't ever want people uh, basing things around me. Rather, I'd like for you to be able to look to God, to look to his word. But this is where leadership does come into place because if we're not careful, we can very quickly say, well, then just all leadership out the door and we're only going to do what everybody as a whole comes together and sees. Wait a minute. This is where leadership does come into play. So let's look at leadership's main function. So often within the role of the church, leadership is completely misunderstood. Some view leadership as the ones who are the ones who are going to take care of the grounds, the custodial, the event planning, the maintenance, the hospital visitations, weddings, funerals, and the like. However, this is the responsibility of the church body as a whole. And leadership does have a specific call. Take just a moment, and let's jump back to the book of Acts. And and before we go into Exodus, because we're going there, but I want to give us a little bit of groundwork to understand what it is that we're looking at. Look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, in the days of the early church, there were some issues that had arisen. And in Acts chapter 6, verse number 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because of their widows were because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples and said unto them, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, looking out, out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. They're not saying that the other job was not important. What they are saying is these other jobs were drawing us away from the one thing that we ought not to be distracted from, and that is the, the ministry of prayer, the ministry of the preaching of the Word of God, and the ministry of the people, building them up. And as the Apostle Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians, we just read just a moment ago, he says that it's important for us to to value the other gifts, but he says, above all, learn how to communicate the Word of God. That's what he's talking about with the prophesying and uttering and exhorting and encouraging one another. He says, this is the primary thing. Just a moment ago, Micah read from 1 Timothy. And to give attention to the reading of the Word. And so this gives us a little bit of an of, of a understanding of the direction that we're going to be going here. As we look at this, let me pull out just a couple things here. The primary purpose for redemption, and I want you to see this, that the purpose of redemption, in, as you go back into the book of Exodus, now you can flip back to the book of Exodus, the purpose of redemption was freeing God's people to be able to know and to be able to worship him. This was the primary purpose for it. If you were to go through the book of Exodus and you were to look at all the different times where God's people, uh, where God was talking to Moses and he was saying, I want them delivered. He's, uh, He's talking to Pharaoh through the voice of Moses saying, let my people go that they may. You go back into Exodus chapter 3, verse 12 and verse 18. Exodus chapter 5, 1, 3, and 8. Exodus chapter 7, verse 16. And over and over and over again, God says, I want them to be free so that they can come out here and worship me. Now, we can 
real quickly, if we're not cautious, we can get uh, a misunderstanding of God in that. Well, he's just a real arrogant fella, isn't he? Kind of pompous. He just wants people to worship him. I don't think we have a good understanding of why if that's where we stop in our thinking. You see, the idea is that people would be free and able to worship him. Look at Exodus chapter 32. Because God sent Moses out to redeem his people and show them how they can worship him. He gave them everything that they needed. Look at, look at verse, thir- uh, verse number 1 of chapter 32. And when the people saw Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said, uh, and said Up, make us gods that we, uh, which shall go before us. For as for, uh, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we, we what not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in thy ears, your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people break off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them uh, at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after uh, he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, uh, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought, uh, brought peace offerings, and people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now let's just pause for station identification and remember what's going on here. The people of Israel are being led out of Egypt. They're being led to the promised land, and there, there they are at the mount, and Moses is up, up at the top of the mountain. He is communicating with God. He is getting the, uh, uh, the uh, Ten Commandments. He's, he's being given by God the, uh, the way that people ought to approach him, the way they uh, ought to worship, the way they have to sacrifice. He's, 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 giving it, he's laying it out to them. And we, we can look at this in one of two different ways, the one being, well, God made it so difficult for people. He wanted it done this way and this way and this way, or we can understand what was actually happening and God saying, I want you to be able to approach me, but I am perfect, I am pure, I am holy, it's going to be difficult, but I am going to give you a way. Here's how you can do it. If you jump back to Exodus chapter 20, I want you to see this. In Exodus chapter 20, God actually spells out in the second commandment that he does not want certain kinds of worship. It, it's, it's not going to bode well with them. Look at Exodus 20, verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water Uh, under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation to them that hate me. God made it very clear, don't do it this way. Now, we can go in and we can spend a long time and there are 
specific purposes. There are specific things that could be discussed here. But I want us to understand that God made it very clear this is the best way and this is the wrong way. And then when we go over here to Exodus 32 again, what do they do? They said, we need gods to go before us. Now, the terminology for gods here is is basically they were saying we need something that we can look at because it says that will go before us. This is not talking about being first. This is not talking about it's that can be in front of us. And so Moses uh, being up on the mountain, Aaron being in charge down here, Aaron listened and he says, okay, so people are wanting something that they can look to. But, you know, what we'll do is we'll make something that they can look to, but we'll just say that we're worshiping God. And so this is what they were doing in Exodus 32. They weren't trying to bow down to a pagan false god. They were putting these idols in front of them saying that that was Jehovah God. Notice that there in verse number five, Aaron made the proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. They give, uh, they attribute the, uh, um, back in verse uh, four, he says, receive them their hand fashioned with a great tool. He said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. He's saying, this is God. There's a lot of times, ladies and gentlemen, the people come and try to present themselves and they honestly believe that they are worshiping God, but they're not worshiping, truly worshiping God. They're worshiping their idea of God. How many times do we see people time and time again, well, I want to do it this way. I like to do it this method. I like to follow this prescription. I like to have this type of music. I like this style. I like that style. It doesn't matter about you. We're talking about God. You want to worship yourself? Go to the mirror. Look, I've looked at this mug in the mirror. It ain't worth worshiping. He is. Is the only amen I want to hear. God is worth it. He deserves the worship. And so before we start bringing things that we like, might we find out what he wants? God's whole purpose of redemption is worship. Is they want to have a relationship with me, but they can't. So here I'm going to help them. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to give them the ability to worship. Now, the second part of this is that God doesn't just care about it in the Old Testament. God also cares about it in the New Testament. You know, in John chapter number 4, Jesus is talking with a woman at the well. And she says, you all say we got to worship over here. Our people say we got to worship over here. He says, well, we go. She says, what, what, what? And he says, now is the time when God's people should worship him in spirit and in truth. Understand what this means. Those who are born again by the spirit of God have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them. And this spirit dwelling in the believer prods them to pour out praise that is built around the truth of who God is and a revelation of God's nature and his very character. 
This is true worship. It's not praising what I think or praising what I like or getting excited about my styles. But it's seeing God for who he truly is and realizing, yes, he deserves all praise. Seeing his character and saying, yes, he deserves every bit of my attention. Now, this is the part where I might lose some of you. So wake up your neighbor, put an elbow in their rib. There are two basic ideas, two basic approaches, um, basically uh, um, two ways to look at worship. The first uh, is what we refer to as the normative approach. Now, the normative approach comes to worship saying nothing is off limits unless it is specifically prohibited in the Scriptures. Now, the second way of going about it is what we refer to as the regulative approach. The regulative approach says all worship should be examined through the lens of Scripture. Now, this is one of those kids, I need you to help your moms and dads understand this because they're not going to. You're going to be going home from church a little bit later, and your mom or your dad's going to say, I have no idea, so it's going to be your job in the car to help them understand what we were talking about. The normative approach says everything's okay unless it says thou shalt not. Okay, so if that's the case, there's a lot of stuff that I would not refer to as worship being done in the name of worship. But the regulative approach says something must regulate how we worship. This is where we come in. God specifically requests something, then that is the way that we ought to do it. If God specifically uh, requests it to be done a certain way, that ought to be the way we approach. The regulative remains the prescribed method for the, uh, of the Word of God, while the normative allows anything that is not forbidden specifically. We here at Liberty Bible Church lean regulative. And here's why. When the Bible says thou shalt, we shalt. And when the Bible says thou shalt not, we shalt not. And then we believe that God's word, when you take it as a whole, from the beginning to the end, will offer enough explanation for the principle to be able to apply it to anything in between. I was talking about gray areas with a gentleman one time, and he, he handed me a newspaper. He says, what color is that paper? I'm looking at it, and I said, that's gray. Apparently, it wasn't the New York Times. I said, it's gray. He said, handed me a magnifying glass. He said, look closer. And I looked closer, and it was actually flecks of black and white. He said, the gray areas just haven't been looked at close enough. We can find the black and white if we look closely. This is how we come at it. So I wanted to bring all of that to bring you to this next point. So how do we approach worship? If you're anything like me, you come to that kind of a setup and you're like, so we can't do anything. We shouldn't be doing any of it. How in the world do we know what to do? Here's how we approach worship. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Micah read this just a little bit ago, but it's important for us to notice it. 
1 Timothy chapter number 4. Look down at verse uh, 13, and I want you to note what Paul encourages his young preacher boy in the faith. He says this, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. This is where we understand. If I have a question about what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to act, how I'm supposed to approach, how I'm supposed to live, what I'm supposed it all is going to stem around giving attention to the reading and to the exhortation and to the doctrine. Some people may not understand. We read the Bible at the beginning of the service. We read it partway through the music service. We read several passages in the uh, in the main service or the message portion of the of the service. Why in the world do we have? Is the preacher not going to preach? Why are we reading the Bible over here? Why are we adding scripture over here? Because the reading of the Word of God is paramount to the understanding of God. This is where we understand what it is that God wants, what we understand what it is that God, how can I uh, approach God? How can I know him? How can I be right with him? I have to be able to find a way. What, what, what is the roadmap? What is the atlas, so to speak, of me having a right relationship with God? The word of God. That's what we find. And so how do we approach worship? We read the word. That's first and foremost. Second, if you were to go back to Luke chapter 24 or to John chapter 5, you'll find that Jesus in Luke 24, he started to explain to himself, beginning with the with Moses and the, the prophets, he started to explain himself. He says, this is me. In John chapter 5, he said, search the scriptures, for in them you find me. And so not only do we read the word, we preach the word. I'm sorry, my friend, you're not going to come to this church and find us watching an episode of Andy Griffith and then discussing life lessons. That's not the Word of God. We're going to study this. You're here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Drop back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy 2, this chapter is devoted to corporate worship and organization. But the chapter begins, look at verse number one here. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We actually pray the word of God. Now, God's word teaches us how to pray. Brother Dale read just a moment ago, after this manner, therefore, pray. And how does that prayer start? Our Father who art in heaven. It's a recognition of him. We are taught to pray by God himself. Praying God's word communicates to him as well as to ourselves that we desire to approach him on his terms. I learned a long time ago that when I start to pray and I am starting to pray the word of God, if you've never prayed the word of God, I encourage you to try it. It communicates something. I don't want it just based on what I want. Here's my list of wants. God, I'm coming to you on your terms. That's worship. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, exhorts us to sing because let the word dwell in you richly. Don't just take my word for it. Look there, Colossians. Just after all the T's, I'm sorry, just before all the T's, you'll have Colossians. Colossians 3, look at verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You don't like the music service of the uh, uh, service uh, music portion of the service? Deal with it. You can take it up with God. Let the word of God dwell in you in such a way that it just comes out singing to him. Now, not only do we read the word, preach the word, pray the word, and sing the word, but we also see the word. You're here in the book of Colossians. Go to the book just before that, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in the heart and the life of the believer and starts to change that individual on the inside. And the Apostle Paul says, work it on the outside. So what God is doing inside you, let it come out. So we see the Word. Now, we discussed uh, this uh, to some degree as we were going through the different ordinances. But I want you to think for a moment. When we deal with certain things such as reading the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, praying the Word of God, singing the Word of God. Now, now I, I, let's stop there for just a moment. Because singing the praises of God is of utmost importance. I want us to know there, there are some... There are some things that we want to be careful. This is not a matter of style as much as content. And some people can get upset because we sing a certain style or we don't sing a certain style. Look at the content. While music does elicit an emotional response, it is important to guard ourselves on what kind of response that is. The bigger question is that of the focus. Is the music focusing on him or is it focusing on us? Now, let me, let me help you with that. Just a couple songs. Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? Is it true that you are thinking of me, how you love me? It's amazing. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Now, if that's your favorite song, I apologize for the next statement, but there's a lot of me in that song. 
And you think, well, that's why I don't listen to the modern music preacher. How about this one? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. The writer says it this way, I'm satisfied with a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransomed will shine, I want a gold one, that's silver lined. Well, that's Christocentric, isn't it? We got to be careful about these things. This is why a while ago, the song we, one of the songs we sung, "Come, Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace." Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, the mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. That Ebenezer in the Old Testament was, was a monument to goodness and the deliverance of God. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Now, what about me in this song? <laughs> He's just prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Only when we get it right that he is the object he is the direct object of worship. It's not about me and what I want and how I feel. Then I'm able to start to reveal that on the outside. We talked about it with baptism. You see the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how I am crucified with Christ I am buried with him in baptism. I'm raised to walk in newness of life. We see it in the Lord's Supper. But you know what? As I am faithful to the ordinances and to the, uh, to the house of God, to, the, uh, to God himself, to his word, to his people, as I'm faithful to these things and I learn how to love others, then people are able to see the effect of God's word in my life. And so our worship, is all about the Word of God. All about it. So, going back to the original question, who leads this place? Right? Who's in charge here? It's all Him. And so why am I here? To point to Him. What is my job? Is my job to schedule events? No, it's to point to him. It's to guide you to him. It's to, to lead you to his book, to his word. I, I, like, and I like how the, uh, the Apostle Paul refers to husbands loving his wife as Christ loves the church. I like that. Elsewhere, it talks about that the husband should love the wife and do honor to her as the weaker vessel. Now, before any women decide they're going to storm the pulpit, I ain't weaker than him. 
Matter of fact, I'm the one that does most of the work around the house. God bless you. You know what that is actually indicating? If you have a priceless Ming vase sitting on a Walmart $29.99 table, which one's the weaker? The Ming vase, right? That table needs to be sturdy. And this is what it's talking about. And so my attempt as a pastor ought to be similar. I am nothing but a presenter of God's word. Let me help you see it. Let me help you understand it. If I ever enter into this pulpit, yeah, check me out. You need a new pastor. I should always enter the pulpit saying, check him out. Learn of him. This is why we read the Scripture. This is why we pray the Scripture. This is why we preach the Scriptures. This is why we we sing the Scriptures. And this is what we want to see is the Word of God. If y'all showing up to look at this chubby, bald-headed fellow, y'all in trouble. The primary purpose of leadership is to help bring understanding of how we can know and approach God through the truth found in his word. That's the primary, the primary reason. I want you to understand this. It's important to remember the beginning of this, what we talked about at the beginning. The purpose of redemption is worship. So as one of the leaders that God has placed me into this church, my role is to ensure that there are enough programs for you. Nope. My responsibility is to run to to the aid of of every uh, person running out of gas. No. My primary responsibility is to lead God's people in God's worship. So understand that. The primary purpose of the leadership of the church is God's word. God's word. I understand that I am just a man. I understand that. If anybody understands that, I do. I understand that there are five deacons. We have five deacons here, and and listen, we understand our inadequacies. We don't want you seeing our inadequacies and focusing there. We don't even want you seeing our strengths and focusing there. We want you to see him. And let your focus be there. So what about you? What about you? Have you come to know Christ, the Christ that we know? Have you come to know him? Understand what we believe in this. We do not place our faith in the rules and regulations of uh, of what we're supposed to do, not supposed to do, what we're supposed to wear, what we're not supposed to wear. That's not where our faith is. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and that alone. Have you come to know this Christ? Have you seen the change that he can have on those who have trusted him as Savior? Have you seen that change? 
sweet lady. She's gone home to be with the Lord already. But I remember her testimony saying, my husband came home and did the dishes. And I said, who is this man? He is not my husband. Change. You see, we do believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in a God who is perfect and holy, and he created the world perfect. But man chose their own ideas and their own desires over God. And separation came into the world because of this man became tainted and our perfect God was separated from man. No longer able to have communion. And just like them, all of us too have sinned. However, all through eternity past, he has been proving to us his desire to be with us even to the point where his son willingly stepped out into this world and died for mankind. That's beautiful. Romans 5.8 says, God commended or demonstrated, put it on display, his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Understand that there may be those who reject him. However, to any who believe, he gives the right to be called the children of God. That's beautiful. Beautiful. So have you examined the word of God? Man, why does this place put so much stock into this book? I challenge you. Examine it. If you're not sure where to start, start at the beginning. If you're not sure where to end, end at the end. And everything between those two covers, guess what you're going to find? It'll stand up to the test. It'll stand up to any scrutiny. I believe it. And I tell people this way, if you find something wrong with it, come let me know because I don't want to waste my life. I believe it stands to the test of time. So have you united with his people? Have you united with them? Listen, man's emotions, man's ideas, fads, socially acceptable practices, so forth and so on, those all change. But his word remains steadfast. That's why we stand on this and not on feelings or society. Here in just a moment, we're going to bring some folks to you who have met this Christ, who have seen the change, who have examined the Word of God, who have desired to unite with His people because they have found Christ an all-sufficient Savior. I'm excited about that. And through this, I hope you too will see and examine your stance with Him. Father, we are humbled by Your love. 
We're humbled to be in your presence, and we are thankful that you gave to us a way to do just that, to be able to be your child. So, Father, reveal to us things that need changed because we don't want to, we don't want to continue just being what we are. We want to be more like you. We, we want to improve. We want to make you smile. And so, Father, I pray that as a result of our worship this morning, that a smile came to your face. And that, Father, as we enter into the next portion of this service, that you would be glorified. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.